Some people talk about being a Christian as if it is merely a decision made in the past, a decision that has little effect on the way you live on a daily basis. But this is a far cry from Scripture's teaching about what it means to belong to Jesus. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more gospel-centered, missions-minded resources at our website, Radical. In today's sermon from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, David Platt explains how Jesus transforms us from the inside out. And this transformation prepares us to come face to face with Jesus on the last day. Because God's judgment will be final and irreversible, we should make certain now that Jesus is, in fact, our life, so that we might escape eternal judgment and instead enjoy eternal satisfaction with Him. So here's David with a sermon titled, The Secret to the Christian life continued from 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 23 and 24. If you have a Bible and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with let me invite you to open with me to 1st Thessalonians chapter 5. It's a small book near the back of the Bible 1st Thessalonians chapter 5. It's really good to be back together around God's word, like I've been looking forward to this Sunday ever since last Sunday, when here and at different campuses, more people were restored to relationship with God through Jesus, and more people celebrated that through baptism. So I wish you could hear all these different stories from different campuses. I think we've got some pictures on the screen. I think the first one is Todd. This shows the importance of how you crop a picture. so this is not about death, it's about life, but, uh, but anyway, there we go. And we're just broadening out a little more, there we go, that's death to life. So, uh, so this is out in PW, I think about Loudon, just stories, uh, we, we heard one story just of a, of a couple, a husband and wife struggling in their marriage, they decide we need to go to church this Sunday, they find NBC Loudon, they come, both of them come forward to put their faith in Christ, and then find themselves being baptized that day. Uh, here at Tyson's, we have a, a pool set up in the lobby now, all kinds of people gathering around as different ones share their stories and celebrate new life in Jesus, people cheering in the lobby, people walking out of gatherings or coming into gatherings, wondering what in the world is happening, like rubbernecking, like what is happening over there? One story in particular You know, we have over 100 nations represented here in our church, and last week there was a Nepali woman who was baptized, so she shared in her testimony how her family is Buddhist, how her coming to Christ meant abandonment and persecution for her, but she stood out in that pool surrounded by Nepali brothers and sisters and others around her, and with tears she shared about how she trusted Jesus as her life And when she went down into that water and came out, like the look on her face and the shouts in the lobby. And then what happened? This was awesome. A Nepali brother pulled out a guitar and everybody just started singing on the spot, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And she's standing in the pool, singing with her arms raised. Everybody around her is singing, though none go with me, I still will follow, no turning back, no turning back. Hugs all around, it was amazing. 
That was one story. Among many, another woman came with a friend last week who'd invited her, co-worker. Uh, this woman was not a follower of Jesus. When she came into this room last week, she heard the good news of God's love for her in a way she had not planned. She put her faith in Jesus, found herself being baptized, celebrating his love for her. So teenagers, young adults, men, women, senior adults, people of all ages, backgrounds, celebrating new life in Jesus. So here's the deal. We're gonna do that again today. So I'm wearing this shirt again. Heather asked me, are you gonna wear that shirt every week? I said, I don't know. Kind of simplifies choosing an outfit, but uh, I'm wearing it because I wanna invite more people today to put on this shirt and be baptized as followers of Jesus. So I know that today, just like every Sunday, there are people in this room at other campuses right now who either are not truly followers of Jesus or you are a follower of Jesus and you've not been baptized since becoming a follower of Jesus. And today, I wanna invite you to begin and or celebrate new life in Jesus, eternal life in Jesus. We have shirts, shorts, towels for you, everything you need, and I've been praying all week that God would lead more people to take this step of faith today maybe in a way they didn't plan when they came today. I'm, I'm praying that God will do this every time we gather and that we will come praying for that and expecting God to answer and inviting people who don't have a relationship with God through Jesus to come and experience God and receive eternal life with him. In fact, let, let me pray. Let me pray now for what's about to happen. Oh God, I pray that in the next few minutes, you would speak through your word and people's lives would be changed forever. God, I know there are people in this room at other campuses right now who are not ready to stand before you. And they could find themselves standing before you at any moment. And if that were to happen right now, they would be separated from you forever. So God, I pray that a few minutes from now, when we have time to respond to your word, I pray that you would give humility for people to do whatever you are calling us to do. I pray specifically that you would draw people to new life in Jesus. You would draw people to celebrate life in Jesus through baptism today. God, only you can do this. Only you can do this. So I, we pray that you would move in power among us. In the next few minutes, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week, we looked at the secret to the Christian life, not something that no one's ever heard of, but the key to living the Christian life that so many true followers of Christ are missing out on. We looked at one verse last week, Galatians 2.20. We saw the secret to living the Christian life is grasping the mammoth reality that Jesus died for you so that he might live in you. In the words of Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. So hopefully those of you who were here last week got a picture of who you are with Christ in you that changes everything about how you view your life. 
which leads right into the continued part that I want to pick up on today. So this is something we saw last week that I want to pick back up and unpack this week based on two verses that were in our Bible reading, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. So let's read these two verses, and since they're short, let's read them out loud again together, and then think about what God is saying to us through them today. So I'll put the verses on the screen. Let's say them out loud together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Oh, so last week we saw Jesus died for you so that he might live in you. This week I want to show you how Jesus in you transforms everything about you. Everything. I want to show you how putting your faith in Jesus is not merely about making a decision one day and then moving on with your life. I want to show you how putting your faith in Jesus begins a journey of total transformation in every area of your life. Now, here's the deal. As I already mentioned, I know there are people in this room at other campuses who are not followers of Jesus right now. Every week, we have people from all kinds of different backgrounds who are not following Jesus, but have come with friends or family or coworkers. Maybe you're just visiting on your own. I am... We are so thankful you are here. And I want to ask you in particular to hang with me. Based on this passage from God's word, I want to share two prayers that this passage leads us to pray for one another. And the first prayer is specifically a prayer for those who have put their faith in Jesus. And the second prayer is going to be a bit more general, a prayer for all of us, regardless of where we stand with Jesus right now. So if you are not at this moment a follower of Jesus, in this first part, I want to invite you to Hang with me and listen in on what it means to be a follower of Jesus because there are a lot of people who call themselves Christian who are not actually followers of Christ. That Christian label can be used in all sorts of ways. Even here in our city, you hear about the evangelical vote or the Christian vote. And I just want to show you what the Bible teaches about followers of Christ, which is oftentimes very different from what the world labels Christian. So hang with me through this first prayer, and then I want to bring us all back together with the second prayer that's going to lead us to a time of response, where I'm going to invite people to experience and celebrate new, true, eternal life in Jesus starting today. So let's dive into this first prayer. And I phrased it in your notes as I pray that, which I do. I've been praying this prayer specifically for followers of Christ all across our church all week long, but this is also something we pray together for each other. So here goes, based on 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, I pray that God will make you more and more like Jesus. So this verse that we just read together is a prayer for the Christians at Thessalonica, a city in 
first century Roman Empire, these Christians, much like the Nepali woman I shared about earlier, had experienced all kinds of opposition and persecution for placing their faith in Jesus. In fact, turn back with me to chapter one in First Thessalonians and listen to the description about how they'd come to faith in Jesus. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse four says, for we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So get the picture. They had turned from the worship of idols to the worship of God. They had received the gospel. So for those who are not yet followers of Jesus in this room and other campuses, the gospel is the good news that the God who created you and me loves us. And though we have all sinned against him, which basically means we have rebelled against God's ways for our lives, it looks different in each of our lives, but we have all sinned against God and we are all separated from God as a result. And the penalty for our sin before God is death. And not just physical death. Because if we die in this state of separation from God, we will spend eternity separated from God. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But the good news is that God has made a way for us to be forgiven of all of our sin and restored to a relationship with him. God has come to us in the person of Jesus. And Jesus has paid the price of our sin for us. Jesus, who had no sin in him, died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And then Jesus was raised from the dead, conquering sin, making forgiveness of sin and eternal life possible to all who turn and trust in him, who turn from the idols of this world, namely ourselves, and trust in Jesus alone as our life. That's what had happened at Thessalonica. And when that happened, when they trusted in Jesus as their life, that triggered a process by which Jesus began to transform everything about their lives. And that's what this prayer is all about in 1 Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Notice how God does this himself. The God of peace. Wish we had time to dive more in depth there, but peace here is not just a reference to some sort of inner tranquility, but to a whole and healthy life as God intends for us to have. Which makes sense, right? Like, think about it. God, the one who created you, who fashioned and formed you, he is all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-loving, which means God knows what is best for your life. He knows better than you what is best for your life. Sin is a denial of this. But when you trust in Jesus to forgive you of your sin, you're restored to relationship with God as you say, God, I now know that you know what is best for my life. I am trusting you with my life. 
I'm turning from the idols of this world and trusting in you. That's the confession of every true Christian. Jesus, take over my life and transform every single thing about me according to your ways, not my ways anymore. And that's what this prayer is about. It's about God sanctifying us, which basically means setting us apart to experience the full, abundant life that God has created you and me to live in this world in every way. This verse says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Some translations say through and through. The basic picture is all of you, including your whole spirit and soul and body, like everything about you, totally transformed by Jesus in you. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a picture. It's there in your notes of concentric circles, like the bullseye there in your notes, that I hope will help you think about how Jesus in you transforms everything about you. Specifically, and I put it this way in those notes, I want you to see how Jesus transforms you from the inside out. How the moment you place your faith in Jesus, the moment you become a Christian, the moment you say, I'm trusting in Jesus as my life, that moment in time starts a process over time by which you become more and more like Jesus in your life. This process is called sanctification and it affects everything about you. So take those concentric circles and I just want you to picture this with me. And we could go all over the Bible with each of these, but I'll just list some different verses at different points that talk about the ways Jesus transforms you from the inside out. So in that inner circle, let me invite you to write Christ or Christ in you. So when you trust in Jesus as the Lord of your life, he doesn't just forgive you of your sins and you move on with your life. No, he forgives you of your sin and fills you with his spirit, the Holy Spirit of God living in you. What we talked about last week, Christ is in you. Now, let's think about how Christ in you, his spirit in you, begins to transform everything about you. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit transforms your thoughts. So write thoughts in that second circle from the middle. The Bible says in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us to take every thought captive to obey Christ. The end of 1 Corinthians 2 talks about how we have the mind of Christ. So Jesus in us transforms the way we think about our lives, about the world around us, about what's important in our lives, what's important in the world around us. We begin to think like Jesus thinks, which is why being in God's word is so important because that's where we learn how Jesus thinks. And he transforms our minds as we soak in his word. Our minds become more and more molded like Jesus' mind, which then affects our, so here's the next circle, desires. So write desires in that third circle from the middle. Jesus doesn't just transform the way we think, he transforms how we feel. And so many Christians totally miss this one. So many have, an, have a faith that is intellectual but not emotional. Like we know things in our head, but we disconnect them from our hearts. And the result is, for many, a practically emotionless faith, which should not be. And I realize different people express emotions in different ways. But just think about how the Bible describes the Christian life. It's a life of love for God. Psalm 63, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirst for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory. Your love is better than life. 
My soul is satisfied in you as with the richest of foods. With seeing lips, my mouth praises you. Like this is a picture. Don't miss it. Christians don't worship God like we're bored. We worship God like we're thrilled that we know God. And if, if you have disconnected your faith in God from feeling for God, you are missing the point. You're missing that. And again, I know people express emotions in different ways, but the whole picture we have all over the Bible is souls that are satisfied in God more than money and more than fame and more than sports and more than success in this world, more than anything else in the world. Our souls desire God. We love God more than life itself. And we love others with compassion and care and concern. I just wrote this book that came out last week because of conviction of my own life along these lines. Like having seen extreme poverty and trafficking and dire spiritual need in the world, falling on my face in the Himalayas, just weeping, like uncontrollably weeping, and then wondering, why is this so uncommon for me? Because Jesus weeps over those in need. And Jesus' life is my life. And why out of the countless church gatherings I've been in my life, can I count on one hand the number of times we were crying out together for a world in desperate need? Just doesn't make sense. Desire is a fundamental part of life in Christ. Passion for God, compassion for others, contrition over sin. When we sin, don't just intellectually say, yeah, that was a sin, like we hate it. Gratitude for grace. Jesus transforms our desires, which then leads to, next circle, transformed actions. So write actions in that fourth circle from the middle. So as we think as Jesus thinks and we desire as Jesus desires and we begin to live as Jesus lives, he transforms the words we speak, the decisions we make, the actions we take, the priorities we set, the money we spend, everything we do. Now let me pause here, put this together. So part of my hope in giving you this picture is to help you see what I think we see all over the Bible that the way we act is based on what we feel and think, what we believe. Let me give you an example. Think about the very first sin in the world. Adam and Eve eat a piece of fruit that God had said not to eat. Simple action, right? They ate. But it didn't start there. There's a much deeper root there. You look back at that passage. It all started when the tempter said, did God really say don't eat from this tree? God said that because he doesn't want what's good for you. And suddenly Eve started to believe, to think that God's ways were not good, that her ways were better. And then what does Genesis 3, 6 say? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, you see the thoughts and the desires all over that verse? When that happened, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The first sin didn't start with doing contrary to God's ways. It started with thinking and desiring contrary to God's ways. Do you see it? And this is so important for our lives. I think this is why so many Christians miss the secret to the Christian life because we think the Christian life is all about doing. Just kind of focus on that, that outer circle there. Go to church, read your Bible, pray, do that, do this. That's Christianity. And so many people try to do 
all those things, yet still feel pretty empty, frustrated, even defeated in Christian life. But this is not the life you were created for. Doing, doing, doing in your own strength, your own efforts. No, you were created to experience the life of Christ in you, transforming everything about you from the inside out. His life in you, transforming the way you think so that you actually believe his, he is good and his ways are good. That they are actually better than your ways. And you don't think, I, I have to spend time in God's word. You think, no, I'm so glad I have God's word so I can know God's ways. The Christian actually wants God's word. Like it's more important than daily bread for you. You desire it. Why? Because you desire God. You desire communion with God and obedience to God because you know his ways are better and you want his ways more than you want your own ways. Do you see how Jesus in us, transforming us from the inside out, changes everything? This is so huge. I was speaking at University of Maryland a couple of weeks ago, outdoor this amphitheater, was reminded yet again of the stats. And I read another article this week, the overwhelming numbers of supposedly Christian students from the church who go off to college and fall away from their faith. Like the majority of them fall away. And I'm just not content with that. I don't want the majority of my kids to fall away. Or yours either. So why is that the case? And I wonder if it's because we're missing the secret here. I don't want to oversimplify this, but I wonder if part of it at least is because in the church we have a tendency to tell our children and students, do this, do this, do this. Like we focus on this outer circle actions all the time, but we're not as parents or in the church giving them what they most need, like a deep and thorough knowledge of what it means for Christ to be in them, nurturing them with his word and his spirit so they grow to think like Jesus thinks and feel what Jesus feels and want what Jesus wants. Without that kind of core, the first time they encounter an atheistic professor in a college classroom or the freedom and pleasures of this world on a college campus, their faith collapses in and exposes what is ultimately a hollow, virtually Christ-less Christianity. And what about high school students now? Like They're battling with impurity and so many temptations around them. So what's best to give them? Like Just a bunch of talks saying, do this, do this, don't do that. Like sure, in one sense we talk about actions, but what they need at the core is the life of Christ growing in them, transforming their minds and their hearts to know and love him, to think like him, desire like him, so they want to follow the leading of the spirit in their lives. Don't we all need that? It's not just students, it's adults in impurity, like men and women and pornography, like the vast majority of men. Like don't you see it? The answer is not just stop doing that. We need new hearts and transform thoughts and transform desires? What about the epidemic of so many men in our culture who are not leading their families in a way that honors God? Like, how does, how does that change? Like, just say to men, start doing this or that. Like, that'll go so far, far more important. Let's pray that men will cultivate the life of Christ in them, will believe his ways are actually better than the success this world offers, such that men are listening to his word and loving it and growing in their desire for God and worshiping God with all their hearts and weeping before God over their sin. That will change the way men live and lead their families. Which leads right to the next circle, relationships. Relationships. Jesus in us transforms not just everything about the way we live, but the way we love. The way we love our friends and co-workers. The way we love our spouses, our kids, our parents. The way we love in the church. 
I loved reading First and Second Thessalonians this week, just seeing the way this church was known for loving each other well and loving a world in need. Do you see it? The more you become like Jesus, the better it will be for those around you. Now, husbands, your wife's greatest need from you is for you to look more like Jesus. Wives, your husband's greatest need from you is for you to look more like Jesus. Parents, your children's greatest need from you is not carting them around from place to place so they can get a good education and be good at sports and get a good scholarship and get a good job. No, nowhere close. Infinitely more important. Your children's greatest need from you is for you to look more like Jesus. Children, that's your parents' greatest need from you too. And regardless of family status, single or married, like our friends and coworkers' greatest need from us is for us to look more like Jesus. It's what the world needs most from us, which leads right to this last circle, purpose. So write purpose in that last circle. Because the more we think and feel and live and love like Jesus, the more our lives conform to his purpose in the world. Because Jesus doesn't just want you and me to experience full, abundant, eternal life. He wants others to experience eternal life in him. So we live for what purpose? To point others to him. That the cause of leading others to the love of Christ dictates every decision we make. Everything we do, we speak about him to others. We invite people to come and hear about him in a setting like this and put it all together. We will do that when in our thoughts we know Jesus is the only way to eternal life with God. And we desire people to know Jesus' love. So we speak about Jesus and we love like Jesus because we want to lead people to know Jesus because we know this is what matters forever. Because we know that eternity hinges on this one thing. And this is where I want to bring everybody in this room and other campuses back together. And I want to show you the second prayer. And I want to urge you to listen closely. Like, if you're not already, let me just ask you just to look up here right now. Like, please don't miss this. Based on God's word, not my word, but God's word in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. I pray that God will prepare you to come face to face with Jesus. I pray that God will prepare you to come face to face with Jesus. So this prayer in 1 Thessalonians 5 is looking toward a day that is coming in the future. Listen to it again. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your Holy Spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what's interesting? Look at this with me. Every single chapter in 1 Thessalonians ends with a reference to the fact that Jesus is coming back. Look at this with me. 1 Thessalonians 1, last verse, verse 10. Wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. The judgment of God that's coming upon sin and sinners who have not trusted in Jesus as their life. 
1 Thessalonians 2.19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Then 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 13, in words that are almost exactly the same as chapter 5, we have a prayer that God may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Then 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 says, get this picture, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. You noticing a theme here? Then chapter five, at the very beginning, talks about this day in detail. Look with me at verse two. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Jump down to verse nine. Listen to what's at stake on that day. The Bible says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to abstain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Oh, let me just explain what we just read. And I just want to plead for everyone to listen like really closely. One day, everybody in this room, everybody at every campus where we're gathered, one day, every single one of us is going to come face to face with Jesus. Every single one of us. Either we will die and come face to face with Jesus or Jesus will come back while we are still alive. And either could be any day. That's the point here. God is saying, and I put this in your notes, that moment will be sudden. God describes it like a thief in the night. If you know a thief is coming to your house tonight, what do you do? Uh, all kinds of things go through your mind. The point is you prepare accordingly. You don't say there is peace and security and then go to sleep. Huh, I give you a picture of what this world is telling you and me to do day after day. To say, I have a good job, good health, a place to live, a 401k. Maybe even I go to church, I'm fine, I'm secure. Don't say that, because in an instant, all of those things will be gone. And it could be today for any one of us. Your job, your health, your home, your 401k, your attendance at church do not guarantee you tomorrow. Today, you or I could meet Jesus and in that instant, our hearts will be fully exposed before God. Like our hearts laid bare and it will be suddenly clear whether or not Jesus was indeed our life. Some of the most haunting words in all of the Bible or Matthew chapter seven, verses 21 through 23, where Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Did you hear that? Like Jesus just said, many people will be shocked. He uses the word many. Many people will be shocked to stand before Jesus one day and say, look at all I did in your name. And he will tell them, I never knew you. And in an instant, our hearts, our souls will be exposed before God. And in that instant, our lives will stand alone. Jesus talks about his return in Matthew 24. He says, two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one left. The picture is, whether it's the day you breathe your last breath or the day when Jesus comes back, it won't matter what home you're in, who you are or are not married to, what your parents believed, how you grew up, where you spent your life, who you were around, on that day, your life will stand alone. You will stand face to face with Jesus, the judge of the world and the judge of your life and his judgment will be final. On that day, your decision will have been made and there will be no second chances. Every one of us is going to stand before Jesus as judge any day and please follow this, all who do not know him will experience eternal destruction away from him. You say, destruction, isn't that a strong term? I think it is. And the only reason I use it is because that's the term God uses. He just said it in what we read in chapter five here and then in the very next chapter of the Bible, 2 Thessalonians chapter one, verse seven talks about when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven Listen to this language with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. It's exactly what we talked about earlier. If we die in our sins, separated from God, having rejected Jesus, the only one who can reconcile us to God, we will spend eternity separated from God. Which is why I wanna urge every single person within the sound of my voice to trust in Jesus today. Like right now, God is warning every one of us in this passage that judgment is coming and he has made a way for you to be safe on that day through trust in Jesus. And I'm talking to all kinds of people today who the truth is you have not trusted in Jesus as your life. Either you're playing games with the facade of Christianity and Jesus is not actually your life. Or maybe you are atheist, agnostic, believing in some other religion, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, Regardless, I am urging you today, make sure you are banking your life for eternity on that which is true. I'm urging you to hear God saying in his word right now, I have made a way for you to have life forever with me. Trust in Jesus before it is too late. I heard this last week from a 
self-proclaimed agnostic in his mid-20s, on the rise in the professional world, about to get married. He comes about a month ago to a church we recently planted. Only reason he came to that church was to appease his family, said he was not planning to even listen to the sermon. He ended up realizing who Jesus is, what Jesus had done for him, and he turned and trusted in Jesus as his life. He came that day not ready to come face to face with Jesus. He left that day looking forward to coming face to face with Jesus. And looking forward is the right way to describe it. For on that day, all who know him will enjoy eternal satisfaction with him. Second Thessalonians 1 continues, talking about when Jesus comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. By God's grace, through Jesus as your life, you can enjoy eternal satisfaction with God. Huh. I've been reading a book by a guy named John Owen from the 17th century. He put this so well. He just imagined the perspective of Jesus speaking to you and he said, why will you die? Why will you perish? Why will you not have compassion on your own soul? Can your heart endure? Can your hands be strong in the day of wrath that is approaching? Look to me and be saved. Come to me and I will ease you of all sins, sorrows, fears, burdens, and give rest to your souls. Come, I entreat you. Lay aside all procrastinations, all delays. Put me off no more. Eternity lies at the door. Do not so hate me as that you will rather perish than accept of deliverance by me. So, let me ask you to do this. Let me ask you to bow your heads with me. Here in this room at all our campuses, just not moving around, just bowing our heads, just because I want us to put aside any, all distractions. And I want to just invite you right where you're sitting right now to come before God, just you before God. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to his word. And the first thing I want to do is I want to ask every single person in this room at other campuses, I want to ask you, is Christ in you, is Jesus your life? Like answer that question honestly. I'm not asking you've gone to church before, called yourself a Christian, even believe in Jesus. The Bible says even demons believe in Jesus. The question is, is Jesus your life? And if the answer to that question is not a resounding yes, right where you're sitting, then I wanna give you an opportunity to say yes to him right now right where you're sitting just to say in your heart to God in this moment, say, dear God, I know that I have sinned against you, that I have chosen my ways over your ways. I know that I am separated from you, but I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and he rose from the dead so that I could be restored to you. So I am asking you today to forgive me of my sins and to fill me with your life. Today and forever, I want Jesus to be my life. Oh, if you just prayed that to God, I want to invite you to do something just in this room and other campuses. I want to invite you with every head bowed and every eye closed before God, between you and God, just to Raise your hand as a picture of you saying, today, Jesus is now my life. If you just prayed that prayer to God, would you just lift your hand? Just 
for God. The picture saying, Jesus is now in my life. Amen. Oh God, you see these hands more important than you see the hearts in this room and campuses where I can't see. Lord, I praise you for these who are experiencing new life now in Jesus. And I pray that you would give them courage to celebrate new life in you through baptism today. So in just a moment, I'm gonna pray. And after I say amen, I here and pastors at other campuses are gonna share with you how you can be baptized today. And at the same time, we're gonna lead us all to respond to what we've just heard from God's word. Like for all who are followers of Jesus, I just wanna ask you today, where do you need to become more like Jesus in your life? In what specific ways do you need Jesus to transform your thoughts, your desires, your actions, your relationships, your understanding of your purpose in life? And I want us to have some time to respond to God personally, to pray to the God who is indeed faithful and will do this work in you if we let him. So God, we pray that you would lead our time of response now pray that many people would celebrate new life in you and that we might respond to you as you call us to be more like Jesus in specific ways. So God, we pray for humility to hear and courage to obey in these next few moments of response. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. As always, if you would like to download this sermon, watch it, or even grab the free discussion questions that go along with the sermon, you can do that on our website here, radical.net. And while you're there, you can find other resources on similar topics as today's sermon, such as spiritual growth, second coming, death, hell, and identity of Christ. Thank you to everyone in the Radical with David Platt podcast community who has rated and reviewed this podcast on iTunes. That is incredibly helpful for getting this resource out to more people. So thank you. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. And until next time, join us at radical.net.